I'm reminded this morning that uh, there are not many people who don't love a good party. And who doesn't love a good party? I know probably some of you don't, but um, perhaps we'll change that by the end of this message. But it wasn't love of good party. In fact, if you read in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is filled with passages about parties and, and festivals. You know, in our culture, we generally associate, you know, feasting with, you know, Thanksgiving or, or, maybe, or, maybe, Christ, or maybe Christmas. But in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, every holiday was an excuse for a big festive meal. Every holiday. And, beloved, when Israel feasted, it wasn't happy hour. You know, it wasn't a happy day. It was happy week. You find describing, uh, you know, uh, the Bible describing one of these elements of feasting in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 26. It's very powerful. Very powerful what, what God says here. God says to the nation of Israel, as they're preparing to go to festival, he says, use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever you like. You and your household shall eat. And when you eat, you eat in the presence of the Lord, and you shall rejoice. You read in the Old Testament, it seems like Israel was having a party or a feast all the time. All the time. And you got to ask yourself, as you read these passages, why so much celebration? Well, beloved, the answer is that God is a celebration God. God is a happy God. God is a, joy, a, God, is a God of joy. Heaven is a happy place. In Psalm 16 and 11, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in this sense, God's people are to reflect the God who saves them. God's people are redeemed to give glory to God. And nothing is more glorious then reflecting back to God who God is. And who is God? God is full of joy. Heaven is full of joy. And there's nothing that brings more glory and joy to God than when sinners are brought to salvation. There is nothing more glorious there is no joy more worth rejoicing in heaven than when salvation is brought to sinners. 
And this, beloved, is why Jesus came celebrating also. Jesus came celebrating also. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, that Jesus came eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. And as we've said before, you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again, that Jesus didn't turn down a dinner invitation. Jesus didn't turn down a party. And everywhere he went, not only did he go, but he made the meal better. Everywhere he went, he caused more celebration and more rejoicing. At the wedding in Cana, when they ran out of wine, Jesus turned water into wine, more rejoicing. When they were gathered by the sea and it was getting late and people getting hungry, Jesus fed 5,000 hungry souls, more rejoicing. After a long day of fishing and the, and the disciples had caught nothing, Jesus comes along and fills their nets with fish to overflowing, more rejoicing. Jesus came, beloved, to bring joy. And you know why he came to bring joy? Because he came to save. He came to save. Despite the cross, Despite all the sinful opposition that was in Jesus' way, Jesus was happy. Jesus was happy. Why? Because he was full of joy, because he was full of the Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? He's a spirit of joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit is a joyful, joy-producing spirit. And when the Pharisees came to Jesus, they couldn't understand that. Over and over again, they could not understand that. They didn't get it. What did he have, what did he have to be happy about? All of his friends were sinners. What did he have to celebrate? All the company he was keeping, they were lost. They didn't understand. But Jesus did, beloved. And this was the type of celebration that Jesus had come to bring. And this is what our text teaches us this morning. Our text teaches us the reason Jesus came. The reason Jesus was happy, the reason Jesus was full of joy, the reason Jesus was happy and full of joy is because, beloved, he came to eat and celebrate with those he came to save. He came to eat and drink and celebrate with the lost. 
because he came to save them. That's the point. That's the point I hope we get this morning. That's what we see happening in chapter 15. The whole chapter is about that. You can go home now. That's the whole chapter is about. Begins verse 1. Jesus doing what Jesus did. Eating and drinking with sinners. Eating and drinking with the lost. Now the tax collectors and, and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, these guys, these Pharisees and these scribes and these teachers of the law, these religious leaders, they couldn't believe it. Here was Jesus once again. They'd seen him do it before, and he's doing it again, hanging out and eating with lost people. And Jesus, knowing what they were saying and knowing what they were thinking, began to teach by way of parable. In fact, he doesn't just tell a story. He tells three stories. Three stories. Three parables. And these parables were parallel stories. They're parallel stories. Each one was different, yet each one was saying the same thing. Each one had different circumstances, different details, but all three of them have the same meaning. That's why we can read all three of them this morning and make the same point out of all three of them. They're different circumstances, different times, same meaning. Same meaning. This was Jesus, beloved. This is Jesus at his divinely storytelling best. These three stories have three distinct lead characters. There's a shepherd, there's a woman, and there's a father. These three stories have three distinctive trouble agents. A sheep, a coin, and a son. Three different stories. Three different trouble agents proclaiming one truth. And we're going to break down that one truth in three separate points. This is what these parables teach us. First of all, that the lost are truly lost. The lost are really lost. The second point that it teaches us is that the lost are found. And the third one that it teaches us is that the finder rejoices. The lost are really lost. The lost are found. And the finder rejoices. 
Lost or really lost, beloved? The Pharisees were not with the company that Jesus was keeping. They didn't keep that kind of company. They didn't expect Jesus to keep that kind of company either. But Jesus explained that this company was the mission. The company was the mission. And he began to explain it by detailing these parables and the dilemma that these that we find in the parable. And what is the dilemma? The dilemma is that something was lost. A shepherd had a hundred sheep. One had gone missing. A woman had ten coins. One had been misplaced. A father had two sons, and one had lost his way. In other words, beloved, each of these parables begins, each of these parables begins with something that was whole, but suddenly became fractured because some part or element of it was lost. The herd was down 1%. The lady's finances was down 10%. The father's children were down 50%. All of them significant loss in their own context. All of them significant loss. Such loss, beloved, brings anxiety, does it not? Some, such loss not only brings anxiety, it brings desperation. Such loss can bring misery. Beloved, as we see, such loss often brings conflict and even depression. Why? Because such loss steals joy. Such loss robs you of peace. And such is the loss that we see every day. This we see every day. You know why we see it every day? Because this loss is what the world is. Loss. Loss. Do you understand that when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they not only lost the garden, they lost the world. They lost not only themselves, but they lost all those who would come after them. Lost. Lost. And from that day forward, the Bible tells us that the world has been and continues to be under the power and influence of the evil one. Lost. Lost. And this loss, beloved, is universal. It's universal. There's, there's no one person or people who have cornered the market on this lostness. All lost. You see it from the beginning all the way up to Jesus. You see it. In Genesis chapter, five, chapter 6 and verse 5, the Bible said that in Noah's day, the whole world was lost. Lost. You see it in the prophets with Isaiah. In Isaiah 53 
and verse 6, the Bible said the same thing is true. In Isaiah's day, all are lost. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 12, even in the New Testament, the same could be said in the days of the apostles. All are lost. Well, beloved, it's important to understand that there are many ways to be lost. There are many ways to be lost. You can be lost because you don't know where you are. That's why everybody here got a phone, got GPS on it. Not only can you be lost by not knowing where you are, you can be lost by not knowing who you are. That's why all the bookstores are full of all these self-help books. And if you could really help yourself, you wouldn't need any help. But that's because you're lost. You're lost. You can be lost not only knowing where you are, you can be lost not knowing on, on, on who you are. Not, you can be lost not knowing why you are. Where you come from. And what is the meaning of your life? There are many ways to be lost, beloved. But the important thing to remember is that lost is lost. Doesn't matter. There's no such thing as partially lost. It'd be 50% or 10% or 1%. However you want to measure it, lost is lost. It's what we like to do, though. We like to put degrees to lostness. We like to think that some people are more lost than others. This is what we do. It's like when we're sick, right? You take some, what first thing you do when somebody gets sick, what do you do? You take that temperature. Why do you take that temperature? Because you want to know the degree in which they are sick. Help us a small temperature, not a big temperature. Beloved, sin don't work that way. With sin, any sin is sinful. How much sin does it take for a person to be lost? Any. Any. Any, beloved. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9, a little leaven leavens everything. Leavens the whole lump. Lost is lost because sinful is sinful because dead is dead. Dead, beloved, is dead. Jesus ate with sinners because that's all he had to eat with. Jesus ate with the lost because that was all he had to eat with. You help us. Help us today. Being lost is a terrible thing. If you've ever been lost, beloved, being lost is a terrible thing. But you know, there's something worse than being lost. And worse than being lost is being lost and not knowing it. Being lost and not knowing it. And here are the Pharisees, beloved. Rather than criticize Jesus, what the Pharisees should have done is sat down and enjoyed a meal. 
because they were lost too. They were sinners too. Well, they were lost, and they didn't know it. And so there are many ways to be lost. But there's only one way to be found. Beloved, there are many ways to be lost. But there is only one way to be found. And that is if you are sought and found by Jesus. That Jesus seeks and finds you. And the good news, beloved, is this is that in Jesus, the lost are not just lost. The lost are more importantly found. And that's what Jesus taught. That's what he taught in the parable. Yes, there is real loss going on. Yes, that sheep was really lost. That coin was really lost. That son was really lost. But the good news is, is that what is lost is found. The lost are found. In all three parables, in all three parables, whatever was lost was found. Whatever was lost was recovered. Whatever was lost was rediscovered. Whatever was lost was reclaimed. Whatever was lost was redeemed. The good news, beloved, is that in Christ, the lost don't stay lost. God has a purpose. There is an eternal plan, and it begins with a searching and a seeking. A searching and a seeking. They accuse Jesus of eating with sinners, of eating with the lost. But Jesus begins to explain to them that he was not just eating with sinners. He was there seeking sinners. He was seeking them. Because this is what God does. God seeks. God seeks. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they didn't go looking for God. God came looking for them. God seeks. That's what he does. He sought out Abraham in the land of the Chaldeans. That's what he does. He sought out David in, the, in his father's field. That's what he does. He sought out Moses in the desert. That's what he does. That's who he is. He is a seeking God, seeking that which has been lost. That's what he promised to do. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself, who? I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. Is it any wonder then that when Jesus comes on the scene, what does the Bible say about the Son of Man? In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says that the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, beloved, listen, listen. People are fond of speaking about people seeking after God. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe there are people out there who are seeking after God, but only because God and Jesus has sought after them. 
That's what he does. Jesus is the seeker. Jesus is the savior of the lost. And notice something about the seeking that God does. The seeking that the savior does. Notice the extent of the search. The shepherd left the 99 just to find the one. Left the 99 just to find the one. Why? Because every lost sheep matters to God. Every last one. Every last one. The woman searches every nook and corner of her house. She leaves nothing unturned. Why? Because no effort is too great for God. No effort is too great. You know what the father does, beloved? The father never closed the door. The home was always open. He made sure that the road was never blocked. Always, always. How far will God the Father go to save the lost sheep? The Bible says that he will send his only begotten son. And how far will the son go? How far will he come? He'll come from heaven to earth to show the way. He'll come from the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. And he'll come from the cross to the grave, to the grave to the sky. That's how far he'll come to save you and I. Notice how far he searches. But not only notice the extent of the search, beloved, notice the persistence with which he searches. In all three parables, we get the idea that none of them gave up. They didn't give up. The shepherd searched the Bible tales until he finds it. The woman searched for the coin, the Bible says, until she finds it. The father in the parable never gave up believing his son would come home. Why? Because God doesn't quit. God doesn't quit. Doesn't quit, beloved. God, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God is not willing that any of his sheep will perish. Wherever they are, wherever they are, that's where he goes. Whatever it takes, that's what he does. God keeps coming. He keeps coming. When you're going to stop? I'm not going to stop until, until, until all my sheep are found. He doesn't stop. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. He doesn't give up. He never gives up. He never gives up. And that points us to the certainty of the search. You see the extent of it? You see the persistence? If he's that persistent, then you can be certain that it's going to be found. You see the certainty of the search, beloved, the lost will be found. Jesus says, make no mistake about it. The lost will be found. The sheep, what happened? Found. The coin, what happened? Found. The son, what happened? Found. God 
finds those who belong to him, beloved. He finds them. He finds those who belong to him. He's got a 100% success rate. Finds them all. Finds them all. I know, I know many of us, many of us are praying. We're praying for friends. We're praying for family. We're praying for loved ones that they would be found. Listen to me, beloved. They may be lost today, but fear not. If they belong to God, they're going to be found. They may be hidden today, but fear not. They're going to be found. They may appear dead today, but do you take courage when you hear the Father in that parable say in Luke 15 and verse 24, for this my son was dead, but is now alive. He was lost, but is found. Going to get found. Fear not. Fear not. If they belong to God, he will find them. He will find them. He may not find them in your lifetime. Don't fear. Don't fear. If they belong to God, he's going to find them. And you know why he's going to find them? Because God didn't send Jesus just to give it the good college try. Go down there and see who you can find. Try to find as many as you can, Jesus. No, beloved, Jesus doesn't try to find, he finds. He doesn't try to save, he saves. And because he saves, and because he has a 100% success record, guess what happened? Salvation becomes the joy of the Lord. Because God's winning. God's winning. You don't go in the winning locker room and they in there down. They, you don't go in the winning locker room and they're sad. You go in the winning locker room and they're popping champagne, beloved. They're sending up balloons. Because they win. Salvation is the joy of the Lord. Because salvation is God winning. And he always wins. Always wins. Because he always finds what he's looking for. Always. Always. And this we see Jesus teaching that the finder rejoices. The finder rejoices. This is the main theme of these three parables. This is not only the main theme of these three parables, beloved. This is the main theme of the Bible. This is not just the main theme of the Bible. This encapsulates the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The joy of God in redeeming the lost. That's what it is. That's what the Bible is describing. The joy of God in redeeming the lost. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. The joy of God in redeeming the lost. Notice what Jesus says. In Luke chapter 5, 15 and verse 5, the shepherd found his sheep, and what did he do? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, what? Rejoicing. In Luke 15 and verse 9, the woman found her coin, 
And what does she do? And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. The father found his son. And whatever, beloved, had been the mood of that house that day, suddenly that mood changed. Because now they saw they were winning. In Luke 15, verse 23 and 24, the father says, And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and do what? Celebrate. For this, uh, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Listen, beloved. Jesus was celebrating because he was eating with sheep he had found. He was eating with sheep he had found. Jesus was celebrating because there's nothing more exciting on earth and in heaven than taking back what the devil thought he had. There's nothing more worth celebrating, beloved. Nothing better than taking back what the devil stole. And this, beloved, should make us happy because this is the joy of heaven. This is what makes God happy. Our God is happy because he saves. Our God is happy because he restores. Our God is happy because he redeems. He redeems. And heaven is the abode of the redeemed. And therefore, heaven is a happy place. And if that is true, then not only is heaven a happy place, but Christianity is a happy religion. And Christians, therefore, should be happy people. Now, I know, I know, I know. Some people are not comfortable with that. They're not comfortable with that. And Christians too often act like they're afraid to enjoy life. In Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one and answer one, says, what is the chief end of men? And the answer is, the chief end of men is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. Forever begins now. Enjoy him forever. Forever begins now. How do we know that? Because God is filled with joy. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says that God has given us all things to enjoy. He's given us all things to enjoy. And this is why Jesus enjoyed meals. He enjoyed meals, but he particularly enjoyed meals when he ate with the company of the redeemed, when he ate with his friends. And I understand that because I enjoy golf. I enjoy golf, and I particularly enjoy playing golf with my friends. Now, I don't always enjoy my bad shots, but I do enjoy some of theirs. Good shots, bad shots. I am fond of saying, beloved, a bad day on the golf course is better than a good day anywhere else. I, I, I enjoy playing golf. Why? Because golf is rejoicing. 
That's rejoicing, beloved. Bad shots, good shots, doesn't matter. I'm playing golf. That's rejoicing, Jesse. Bad shots, good shots. What are we doing? We're playing golf. We don't ignore the bad shots. They happen. But we're playing golf. Rejoicing doesn't mean we ignore the difficulty or the pain. I went to the dentist this week. And beloved, I found nothing to rejoice in about that. <laughs> Believe me. There was nowhere in the world that I could ignore the struggle. And the struggle was real. And so we don't ignore the struggle. But beloved, we just know that there is something better. There is something better. And it is found in Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Habakkuk 3 and verse 17. And I want us to read this together, beloved. You need to memorize this. You need to know this. This needs to be your daily mantra. Read, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will joy. Why? Because I'm saved. Because I'm saved. There may not be any fruit on the vines, but I'm saved. There may not be any, any horses in the stalls, but guess what? I'm saved. They may pull every tooth out of my mouth, God forbid, but I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved, beloved. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven, beloved, and that won't change. You have hope for tomorrow, and that won't change. No one can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, and that won't change. Beloved, Jesus found you. Rejoice. You are found. And he didn't find you by accident. He didn't just come across you like you might when you're washing your clothes and you get all happy because you found a dollar bill. No, beloved. He didn't forget you were there. He came looking for you. He found you on purpose. I think sometimes we forget that. The Lord found you on purpose. You remember that? You remember that? You remember that? Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed. Oh, when he washed. When Jesus washed my sins away. Oh, happy day. Beloved, that's not a past day. That's every day. That's every day. That's every day. Whatever has happened, Jesus has washed my sins away. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Today, beloved, is a happy day. Because what was once lost is now found. 
what was dead is now alive. And whatever else is happening in our lives, God has given us something for which to rejoice. Oh, oh, happy day. Let's pray.